Welcome, <laughs> welcome to the conversations with Jason Campbell and Henrietta Galena. <laughs> um, it's been a bit of a week, hasn't it? Oh well, yeah, it has been a bit of a week. This has been the week of suicides, actually. Right before this podcast, before recording this, you know, we just found out that Anthony Bourdain um, had killed himself, and of course, Kate Spade. So it's been a bit of a strange week. That's not that kind of news you don't expect to hear, certainly in multiples, uh, in a week. So yeah, it's, it's a bit strange. A bit yeah. strange of a week very melancholy and never mind the weather in new york has not been helping at all it's like june gloom it's really not that bad <laughs> okay you're from england girl i'm from jamaica just let's let's all remember that i i need my heat i need summers to be summers i would never live in san francisco for that reason i would never live in london for that reason it's one of my favorite cities but that's an aside there's a fair point <laughs> anyway so uh, that was the roundup for the week. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, so what are we talking about today? Actually, this is, I think this would count as one of our industry, what, what were we calling that? Oh, our bigger questions. Our big, exactly. This counts as one of our bigger industry questions. Because that, it cannot be answered. It, because it cannot be answered, and it, can, it certainly cannot be answered in this, this single session. Or shall I say, it just cannot be answered in one in one way, it's not a single dimension. Exactly. It's it's one of those evolutionary things. And of course, we will be touching on this subject again. And that being, in this digital age, what is the relationship between fashion and design? And is that, I, hopefully we're clear enough with that, with that question, but we certainly have a point of view. We understand the question, so we certainly have points. Yeah, of view you're on basically this. so you know you're basically talking about how historically um, fashion and design have had quite a, an interesting and a very symbiotic relationship. I think it's been a very monogamous relationship, shall we say? And I think that we're talking about how has digital transformed that? Has it or has it not? Um, and I think, of course, it has. Like digital is the third dimension. Surely. But you know what? I want to go back to defining this fashion design thing that we're speaking about. We're, we're speaking about fashion designers. That is a title in this industry that we work in. And they, they're, they're connected. <laughs> they're connected. So design in fashion, merit in design in fashion. And I, I think what we can say, or at least what I will say, is that yes, there has been a breakdown of a certain merit-based, technically skilled design component in the fashion industry. It is not necessarily, not to say that they're not designers going through rigorous processes and wanting to introduce things that are useful to our lives and things that are innovative and so forth, but as evidenced by most of the designers that we see working in fashion right now, that is by no means the bar. And one of the reasons why this issue became so important to me just a few nights ago Jeb Jebia of Supreme was named the menswear, the CFDA uh, award, men, was awarded the menswear designer of the year <laughs> award, which I thought was uh, was very telling for our times. Because a fashion designer, he, he says himself that he's not a fashion designer, yet we're throwing all these accolades on him as a designer. So I think that's an example in and of itself as to how this industry is changing. And surely we're going we're gonna to mention other examples like that that shows how things are changing in terms of designing the business. 
Yeah, I mean, that's a very good benchmark. I mean, the CFDA awards in general, um, that Robin Gavon's article that I sent you was brilliant because she very accurately and acutely raised a lot of the issues in that and how that's indicative of the wider issues in fashion. And just to note that, I think uh, you should all go out and check out that article by Robin Gavon in the Washington Post. It's so good. And, you know, just even the point of, like, Kim Kardashian being honoured, that's a completely different subject. But ultimately, I think it is really indicative of the industry at large. I think that where we are right now is the concept of fashion, the concept of design has evolved through this lens of digital. Like, it just doesn't mean the same things anymore. I I agree. I agree. I think in many ways, you know, we've spoken about the democratization of influence and so forth. And I think that has, um, a large part of it has to do with that, in that the influence is coming from everywhere. It's no longer from an authoritative body. So in that, anything can fall under, you know, design and surely what's popular and that's determined by and the public that is, and audience. You just hit the nail on the head. That's exactly what it is. I think with digital and social media, what's happened is, the floodgates have opened and it's completely democratic and actually what's happening is there's no gatekeeper, right? There's no like editor or designer that's like dictating to us what's cool and what's in style. Like we all are defining and redefining style where, you know, social media, digital, we're in such close proximity to everyone else in the world that it's more like a peer-to-peer culture where it's like, I want to hear from you or an influencer or my sister or this girl that lives in Japan. I want to know what they think is cool. I want to dress like them as opposed to I want to dress the way that so-and-so is telling me to dress. And there's no editing process because we're all, you know, there's, you know, digital is disrupted print. It's disrupted the fashion week model. It's disrupted everything from design. And I think that where we get our sources of information, where we get our sources of inspiration, I mean, we're all publishers. I think it's just really blown this level of influence in a way that I think personally, digital's flipped it on its head because now the the designers are chasing the consumer. Precisely. And the consumer is setting the terms. Precisely. It's not the other way around anymore. These gatekeepers don't hold as much weight anymore. They're also trying to now read the temperature of what we're thinking to try. Do you know what I mean? So I think it's a completely different paradigm in a way that now we've evolved this idea of like what fashion is and therefore its relation to like actual design and like the technicalities of what that involves. Like, you don't even need to know how to design. At all. But here's the thing. The general public are not using the criteria that, say, uh, historically editors and other gatekeepers like that are using. No. In fact, they're changing the game so significantly. Because let's be honest, when we're talking about design, we're talking about a rigorous process. We're talking about things that are innovative, that is really bringing something new to the, to the, to the, to the picture here. But in this democratized environment, it's about, you know, something visually dynamic. It can just be about a rainbow platform shoes that, you know, that sells for $40. And so there is no sense of, like, integrity about what is deemed popular, what is deemed desirable, and and therefore, you know, in fact, we have now, I wouldn't call them gatekeepers, but we have influencers who do not necessarily uh, um, have any sense of references, any sense of history. It's just really about what captures their eye 
for this for this digital medium and usually that's what they recommend it doesn't have to it doesn't have to be qualified and i think we are um i think we are responding to that right now as we speak right but then i think the whole the the integrity and the whole idea of references and being qualified goes back to this like idea of the democratization of fashion that's exactly what we're doing away with this yes. need to be able to say this is the process of how it works now fashion is an idea and we can all have ideas yes so you know what i mean of and course. i think even if you look at virgil going to vuitton it's like i think that's the first in like the big you know corporate big box hires uh where they're now looking at this sort of evolved idea of fashion where you don't need someone who's like been through this vigorous ra- uh, rigorous rank and um you know gone through all of this training and like had a business for x amount or like done x amount of collections now you have someone who is not a technically trained designer who is basically at the helm of a multi-million if not billion dollar business right right um and i definitely think that that's where it's going because i think that the consumer holds way more power than any designer and so the decisions are always going to be made based on where the consumers are as opposed to, you know, I feel like the designers are not the arbiters of anything. No. And that's, that's surely evidenced by their, their collections and their merchandising. Have you noticed? Well, you couldn't miss it. Every designer has been shoved into doing trainers, into doing all these like casual sportswear thing, even if it has nothing to do with the DNA of their brand. And that is a response. In many ways, some of them have held out for years, for seasons. And in many ways, they have been forced to play in that pond because now, Henrietta, look at what Look at the accessories on, on the runways right now. The, the, the accessories are all trainers and all sort of like casual things. Sweatshirts are still a part of the equation as well. So in many ways, and le- in many ways, that is moving away from design. That's just throwing in necessary products into the mix and is not unique to any designer. Every designer ultimately has the same mix. But that's ways. exactly what I'm talking about is they're, cu- they're chasing the consumer. That's what the consumer wants. 100%. That's what they're buying. So that's what they're catering towards. I think gone are the days of, you know, anything past, I'd say 2000, maybe, maybe a little later, but where the designer is setting the tone for how we dress as a society. I think it's now a case of society through digital platforms, is dictating to the designers. It's almost like a different way of forecasting, but it's dictated by the actual public. And also things are, like, moving faster. So it's, like, I think when you do away with, like, the six-month model, the seasonal model, all of that kind of buying calendar, and it's the idea of, like, having to design for what people want to wear right now, I think a lot of those kind of um, processes go out of the window. And so I think people are just trying to catch up. And ultimately, I think with digital disrupting everything, that's affecting the bottom line. So I think people are definitely trying to reverse engineer to make up for any deficits. And so it is a case of like, you're Dior and you are putting out trainers. You are Vuitton and you're doing streetwear. I think those decisions are made to make up for the deficits that are caused by this kind of shift in power. That's a point. um, That's a point well taken for sure. But I have to say, though, I I have an issue with this. Yes, I understand the shift that's taking place. I understand that the the public is more empowered to choose what what he or she wants. However, 
I don't feel that the public is qualified to make those choices. And okay, we're going to dovetail into this kind of conversation that we've had to some extent several times on this podcast. That being, well, the choices that they're making, they're casualizing culture. They have no sense of what actual design is, like inspired design. And so we're kept into this banal, banal place where it's like, oh, change the color on that sweatshirt change the font, oh, just make the sneakers colorful. But in many ways, there's no, there's no innovation. There are no new suggestions. This is a matter of tweaking, tweaking, tweaking. I, you know what? I would say that is the design paradigm in this age, tweaking. I mean, we've definitely spoken a lot over the last couple of years about how you think, think there is like an assault of casual culture. But my point about the democratization of fashion is that the value systems have changed. And I think that with that, the greater public who don't understand the nuances of fashion and fashion design don't care about the technicalities and the rigor- the vigorous the rigorous process. I can't say that word clearly. <laughs> um, it's about function. It's about what performs well on social media. It's about what is photographed well. It's about what your friends are wearing. And I think that it's a completely different set of values. And I think that's why it's so hard to be a brand and be a, be a fashion house. I mean, we've spoken about this many times. It's like, how do you maintain relevancy like make money and stand for something and stand for something because all of the paradigms are shifting digital is this third dimension and it's something that it is not formulaic like fashion was really predicated on a very formulaic system it was like you do your shows the buyers come it's in the store six months later editors and and magazines and people at the you know their gatekeepers like the Anna Winters and they're basically telling you what's cool they're telling you what to wear they're telling you what's in fashion and then they're using advertising and marketing to basically pressure you or make you feel bad into you could you also could look like Cindy Crawford and like all of this kind of like kind of overt and subliminal messaging that now we don't subscribe to so I think when that kind of conveyor belt is is being disrupted it then becomes really hard to figure out what the new formulas are. And I think that the best brands are figuring out that there is no formula. And it's just about understanding culture. It's about understanding people. It's about emotional intelligence. But it's also about melding that with some level of design integrity. But you kind of have to do it first because you do one thing and then everyone jumps on that bandwagon. So to your point about streetwear, I mean, that's a bad example because it's always it's always been there and it's always been something that's held quite sacred to a, to a massive subculture of people. But you take someone like Vetmont, I think, was the kind of beginning of the mainstream movement of streetwear. It took for them to do something that felt really different in fashion for it to become ubiquitous. So I think it does still start with some level of idea that feels disruptive and then everyone else just makes it just jumps onto that bandwagon to like make money or it's become cool or Kanye's wearing it and I want to dress like Kanye do you know what I mean that's when you get into the ripple effects of right and you know I I started off this conversation by speaking about design offering uh, useful propositions for for our life I think that's an important I think that's an important feature of design uh, for sure and it's not to say that innovative things can't come about in this casual culture. But I got to tell you... You said that with such disdain. (laughs) But it's it's not... 
But it's not coming about. It's not coming about. We are essentially, for example, speaking about the sweatshirt, the sweatshirt uh, um, uh, thing out there, uh, like all those sweatshirts are pretty much along the lines of the champion sweatshirts that were like, you know, that were designed decades ago. So in many ways, there is zero innovation surrounding these kind of things. Yes, we're seeing the trainers with like greater volume and, you know, and arches and all those kind of things. Yeah, they're they're tweaks, tweaks. Again, I'm back to the tweaks. Again, I just do not see uh, um, innovative propositions that are there. And yes, it's not to take anything away from what people continue to redo and tweak and reimagine, but we're talking about design and maybe in, maybe in a very purist sense I'm coming at it from, but... Definitely. It's definitely purist. But the thing is, it's really interesting because we were talking on a previous podcast about vintage versus design. Mm. You always said vintage because it was the original, it was the best. And actually, there's nothing out here that's exciting you because it's derivative of something else. Mm. So with that, I mean, fashion is cyclical, culture is cyclical, history is cyclical. Not to say that there are no new ideas, but when you talk about innovation, I just think that looks different today because you've got 3D printing and biofabrics and... I don't know, I'm sure that VR will be considered fashion in some way, shape or form in the near future. So I think, you know, you've got smart clothing, Mm -hmm. which was a thing I was reading a few weeks ago. So I think that what innovation looks like as it pertains to design is just going to look completely different. But again, it's through a very digital lens because it's all predicated on like tech. Fair enough, fair enough. But I, I, I want to mention this one point that, that shouldn't be overlooked in this conversation. And that being, remember, we're in the age of the Zaras and the H&Ms and the Uniglos and so forth. These are all brands that are essentially established on co-opting existing design. And we see how successful they are. Instead of going to the, I guess, original, which is like a misnomer in and of itself, um, we're, uh, most people are going to those places to scoop up their garments at a, at, a, at a price. And so that's very, very, very telling about the age that we're in, in that we have we have co-signed to, you know, to copies and to facsimiles of things out there. And we patronize these places more so than we patronize the original for sure. So in many ways, that culture, we have been living with that culture for a very long time. And that's the education of the, of our youths. And they are just running with that. And so while we were educated on, you know, the, the new look from Dior and the Balenciagas and all of those, and the, the Saint Laurent and all those kind of brands that were really setting a mark at their time, we're now in an age where it's all about loving that the copy of, of whatever came from Celine or the copy from whatever brand. So well, it's a different mentality. Again, with the democratization of fashion, I think that the all of the lines are blurred and it's very fluid. So there is no restraint. I think before there was a there was a kind of restraint where it was like you needed to know it was almost like the fashion, uh, the history of fashion, sorry, or the history of art was really important. And now that matters to a much smaller group of people than it did before. But people also, I think they put that level of of research or that level of discipline into other values. Like they want to know where are their clothes made? They want to know, is it sustainable? Like they want to know who was harmed in the process. So I think it's less about the history of fashion and more about the um, origin of a particular garment like I think that that energy has kind okay. of shifted okay. and the focus has shifted I'll embrace that but yeah I think definitely in terms of the history of fashion it's so funny because like I've got a younger sister and work with younger people who 
are like talking about how sick X is. And I'm literally like, I feel so old because the fact that you wouldn't even know that this reference was from 12 years ago. Like, I'm not even talking about the history of fashion, like the Dior new look in World War, like whatever. I'm not talking even about that because while those things have massive significance, you know, after the war, women were liberated, they were going to the workforce, they had to do da da they did this, there was an influx of money, there was a new look. Like, all of those things, I think, craft a very different fashion mind. And I think you have such a gem of a fashion mind, but it is a very specific type of fashion mind. I think that is kind of being done away with outside of the academic world. And I think that... Gasp. <laughs> but that being said, the internet still exists. So when people are literally thinking that, I don't know, that monster are doing something new or that streetwear started with, you know, Gucci, I'm just like, oh my days, this is hurting my brain. So I do understand, even from a non-purist perspective, how this is really kind of worrying. But I think that, you know, while the industry is going through a reset, I just think everything is out of the window. And that includes like, any ex- level of expectation. Of, like, <laughs> whatever you're talking about, whatever your expectations are, they're very high because people at the end of the day, they're trying to retain that sense of power uh, from like the kind of publishing, editor, gatekeeper, big brand type standpoint you know, or they're trying to figure it out or they're trying to be new designers and figure out how to make money in this landscape. And I just think that this reset is going to be a bit messy. And so therefore the relationship between fashion and design is in flux. Uh, I agree. And it's not to say, I'm not saying that <laughs> the world out there is is, is is clamoring and calling for this, like, you know, this um, amazing design coming out of fashion. Well, you know, it's, it's shown that they're not paying for it that there may be a certain amount of appreciation, but it's kind of like just they're looking through windows. You know, it's, it's all about like the, the, what do you call it? The, the window dressing of it all. It's not necessarily about the procuring. And I think that's what has happened over the last, over the last decade for sure. Um, I think retailers have understood that. In fact, design doesn't necessarily, doesn't necessarily sell. That they're more apt to sell those, those easy accessible accessories from the brand than they are that glamour gown or that interestingly cut jacket. No, but I think that you, you have such a disdain for like casual culture that I think, I think it's, there is ubiquities across the board. Like, yes, there's this um, massive trend of, of streetwear, but you see it with, I think since Phoebe's departed from Celine, I'm not joking. Every single, I'm looking at Dion Lee, I'm looking at Ellery, I'm looking at Jill Sander. I saw an Instagram post from Jill Sander that I thought they regrammed Celine. Um, I'm looking at Christopher Lemaire. Uh, so many brands are trying to co-opt into that Celine aesthetic mm-hmm. because they know it's going to change. And so I think now every kind of like uber luxury or kind of aspiring uber luxury brand looks like Celine. I think every um, brand that wants to be relevant is tapping into streetwear. I think that from a marketing standpoint, everyone's talking about inclusivity and like all of these other... Do you know what I mean? I, I feel like there are... Um, ubiquities across the board and it it doesn't just pertain to streetwear or casual culture I think we're seeing it like everywhere fair enough fair enough I agree with that um you're like this is bleak I'm going (laughs) (laughs) bleak times (laughs) um we can wrap it up here we can Jason's over it (laughs) (laughs) bye bye (laughs) Bye. <laughs>
something new.